The best rugby insight and analysis. OTB Sports Rugby. They don't look like the All Blacks. They're not playing like the All Blacks. They're barely clinging on. They never really looked like they would win Test 2 or 3. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. Welcome along to Tuesday's Off the Ball. We've got a busy show coming up between now and 10. We're going to be talking about the Irish Tour of Japan, a two-game tour for the Irish women's team, and also Sandy Nepu's retirement from international rugby. Fiona Hayes is going to be with us. We'll take a look at the Springboks against the All Blacks and, and New Zealand getting a vital win for their under-pressure boss Ian Foster at the weekend too. We'll be looking forward to Usyk against Joshua, the second meeting. Uh, this could be an incredibly important fight in Anthony Joshua's career. It all goes down in Jeddah on Saturday. Eric Donovan among our guests looking forward to the big fight and Dan McDonald will be alongside me for the football show plenty to chat about uh, from the weekend just gone by including Darwin Nunes being sent off in Liverpool's draw against Crystal Palace and we'll be taking a look forward to Shamrock Rovers tie in the last round of qualifying for the Europa League as well Did I say that we've got Ronan Mullen with us as well Ronan how are you getting on? All good Will You've got a keen interest naturally as a boxing fan in this weekend's title fight. This is not a usual one either when you consider that Usyk was literally on the front line fighting of, with the Russian invasion of Ukraine and now here he is getting ready to defend his title and all that goes around the fight being in Jeddah and you know, previously Joshua's been there where he won the title back from Ruiz previously in his second fight with him but this feels genuinely like a massive fight in the career of Anthony Joshua where he's at a crossroads now. Yeah, like the heavyweight division at large has been in a bit of a holding pattern just because Tyson Fury has retired about 77 times in the last couple of months. Weeks. And also, yeah, true. And also the Usyk of it all, like as you alluded to, since he won that title, his whole world has been in flux, personal and professional. So uh, the fact that he's actually signed on the dotted line to have this fight is commendable. Um, I think many of us would have our minds elsewhere and be possibly unable to focus on the task of this gravity but like he won the first fight so conclusively that you'd have to make him a firm favourite again and I think that's where it differs from the Ruiz rematch as you alluded to Joshua was able to right that wrong from his own perspective whereas to do so against Usyk could be a whole different kettle of fish because he's going in there with someone who's just technically way more proficient and what Joshua does have in his favour is that sheer size and by going and trying to impose that on Usyk is he going to be opening doors that he doesn't want to see what's behind them, if you know what I'm saying? So um, I think it's very fascinating and I'm kind of intrigued by perceptions around Joshua in general. I think in boxing circles, the Olympic gold medal aside, there's a sense that he's possibly been fast-tracked beyond his merit in that was he a hype job, to use that term from the get-go? I think that's always been quite harsh. I think his CV st- is stacking up with with any heavyweight in the modern era but to be fair when the chips have been down he has fallen short on occasion so Well you were there on the one where the stack really came down which was the first fight against Ruiz you were there covering Katie Taylor and as I'm guessing you're at the point where naturally enough you're probably trying to meet Irish deadlines to get your stories in about Katie Taylor something quite remarkable transpired when Ruiz shocked Joshua the first time around Yeah for sure like if people cast their minds back, the Taylor Pursuant fight was an undisputed title fight, but there was a notion that Katie, in a professional career to that point, had been it been so seamless that this would fall into that category as well. But you'll recall frenetic fight and she was pushed right to the pin of her collar. So still trying to digest that before Ruiz goes in and, and literally shocks the world and beats Joshua against all the odds. Um, I don't think at Wembley was a bit more clinical for Music. Uh, it became very clear 
in the early going that he was the superior technician. It was just whether he could avoid the mines that Joshua brings with that power. And he did so with a plum. So will it be the same pattern on Saturday? It'll be interesting to find out. Mm. We'll talk about it in much more detail after eight o'clock. But the other thing, Ronan, that's kind of interesting about this one, because we heard about DAZN had come in to buy up basically a lot of the matchroom talent and that Anthony Joshua was going on to a DAZN deal. But bizarrely, if this is the last time he's going to fight in Sky Sports this Saturday evening. Yeah, it's an odd little wrinkle in a deal which was much publicised that Joshua's golden contract lifetime deal with DAZN from here on in, excluding the upcoming fight, which is a career-defining will-he-retire-if-he-loses type fight. So I think DAZN are probably looking at it a bit with bated breath. So essentially, they've got the global distribution rights for this fight, barring the UK, which is, to be frank, all that really matters in the context of this fight. So Sky have it, and Sky a little bit... I don't know, besmirched by the notion that Joshua, who was their golden boy for so long, has decided to leave them, have still like plumped the money up here. And some interesting soundings, which we might explore with Eric and, and Declan later, that Johnny Nelson's kind of putting the pressure on Joshua a little bit. Saying, I did notice that. He was in Jeddah in front of a big water fountain earlier today on Sky Sports News, and where there was almost like unequivocal... Um, complete love and support of Anthony Joshua over the years as the golden goose it maybe had changed a little bit exactly so I think that notionally is very different that he was a protected species before when he was on Sky whereas now it's kind of free reign to criticise him because it's a bit of a shot to nothing for Sky and they've upped their prices for this fight one last um, one last cash in if you want to put it like that but interestingly Usyk has bought the distribution rights in Ukraine and will be streaming it for free on YouTube so if you're in that part of the world like as li- as much of a sliver of it as it is of a distraction for the people over there he has made much play of the fact that he is representing his country this time around in in a big way and he'll be as much as his own personal pride, he'd be keen to represent Ukraine in a big way also. Mm, and he has to try and uh, channel all of that emotion as well. Richie McCormick, of course, is with as well. Richie, how are you getting on? Jen, Terry, Yeah, good. I mean, we're going to kick off in a minute on the news round itself, talking about um, some of the unsavoury side of the fallout from last night's game between Crystal Palace and Liverpool, where Joachim Anderson has been getting um, death threats from fans, uh, Liverpool fans particularly. But as performances go to put someone off their game, someone I saw had done up a super cut on YouTube of Anderson during the game getting at Darwin Nunes. When it comes to the dark arts of sport, mm. very few times, Richie, will you see somebody actually be so committed uh, to try and wind up their opponent as Anderson last night? I wouldn't even say it was dark arts. Like It was clear, if you watched that compilation, and anybody who I guess has watched the match as well last night in full, could tell from the jump that Anderson just wanted to get under Nunez's skin a little bit. And that's what defenders have to do against the striker, whether they cost two quid or 80 million quid in the case of Nunez. Um, and he did it brilliantly. And there's, like, you, you put that together with the performance that Anderson put in against Arsenal in the opening game of the season. You add that to last night as well. I mean, his stock is rising. Um, I think a lot of the conversation around Nunez and how he's responded to it and the whole welcome to the Premier League and this is a different, you know, type of defender that he's going to have to come up with now or come up against now is nonsense like we're talking about somebody who grew up in Uruguay for God's sake where like the dark arts were invented in a cauldron in Montevideo uh, like it like, he's, he's absolutely fine with dealing with the fact like he's played in Portugal for the last couple of years I'm sure uh, in what you call the Premier League over there 
they're absolutely fine at kicking lumps out of him too. It's just a case of, I guess he's probably trying to adjust to a new league, regardless of where it happens to be, uh, with a bit of a, a bit of ex- more expectation around him than possibly there would have been before. I, he'll probably be okay, judging by the amount of um, judging by the goals he scored so far, both preseason and in that game against Fulham. But it was really interesting. Like anybody who has, like the Premier League hasn't taken it down pretty much everywhere by this stage. I'd recommend checking out that full compilation of Anderson and Nunez because it's pure entertainment and it's it's just brilliant defensive work from Anderson to niggle at somebody, to niggle at somebody to the point where they try and stick the head in you not once but twice. Nunez mm-hmm. tried to go back with his head originally and then there was another push. He turned around and he went in face to face. But yeah, Anderson, Jesus, and, and Palace in general, making a really fine start to the season probably didn't deserve to lose to Arsenal in the opening day uh, they've a really good squad there's so many players in there that really like Eberechi Ezzi is, is probably one of them Lise as well coming off the bench yesterday is a fantastic player and uh, needs probably a couple more years to reach his, his peak but Palace should again be a, a pretty entertaining watch this year Nunez and Liverpool they seem to have a bit of a hex on them Dave McIntyre this time last night suggested that maybe this might be the season where Liverpool just because they've been at, like because they've been up there for so long, maybe fall away this season. That's probably a case to be made from the first two games. That could well be true. Yeah, that's an interesting point, Ron. It could be a bit like Borussia Dortmund in the late stages of Jurgen Klopp, where the players have been pressing, running incredibly hard, and that fatigue has to catch up with you. And in Liverpool's case, like last season, having a quadruple run that went down to the final day with all four of the competitions, you know, previously having to fight. Man City in 90 plus point seasons after a while all that pressing all that running has to catch up with the team Yeah and I know it'll be a gripe of many Liverpool fans that their additions haven't been overly plentiful and I think Harvey Harvey Elliott has been repurposed as a new signing about four times at this stage new squad number new contract and the poor lad is he seems to have replaced by three different players now but I think they could definitely be doing with, with midfield additions there you saw the keenness with which Thiago was rushed back for that Champions League final shows uh, the reliance in Klopp's mind or the notion that he is a fundamental player in the team and any sense that those midfield cogs were interchangeable, I think he has become increasingly important and the the flip side of that is can you rely on him to stay fit for any period of games um, the latter part of his career and in fact large swathes of his career would suggest not. So I wouldn't be surprised if they did a little bit of business even against um, their better judgment now because this title race, if we can call it that after two games, could get away from them. And not just them, Like there shouldn't be a reliance on Liverpool to make this interesting. There's other clubs there who've spent lots of money, but I think them they don't want to be looking at a situation at the start of September where they're out of sight with Man City already. Yeah. Um, look, it's going to take a while for Sadio Mane's role to be replaced within that team too. He has hit the ground running with Bayern Munich and Nunez has proven that he's a very good player at Champions League level previously uh, with Benfica, but it's going to take him time to settle and now he's got three games uh, to sit out as well. We're going to start talking about Liverpool and Crystal Palace, but the news round is brought to you with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Richie, it is the fallout from that game last night that we're starting with on the news round. Yeah, Crystal Palace are expected to report three to 400 death threats aimed at their defender, Joachim Anderson. Liverpool striker Darwin Nunez, as you mentioned, shown a red card last night for a headbutt on the Danish defender. Anderson has shared some of the messages sent to his social media accounts with some indeed threatening to kill both him and his family. Yeah, um, Kevin O'Brien 
is also stepping away from international cricket, Richie, which is your next story. Um, you're considered one of the best yeah. Irish uh, cricket players of all time. And probably best remembered for giving us that great moment back in the 2011 World Cup when he pretty much dragged Ireland over the line against England. Yeah, the journey he's been on with Irish cricket, like he, his uh, rise to prominence probably goes uh, lockstep with that of Irish cricket as a whole. Uh, but he says not being considered for this year's T20 World Cup has informed his decision to retire. Ireland's most capped ever cricketer represented his country on 389 occasions across a 16-year career. And that highlighted, of course, scoring a century as Ireland beat England at the 2011 World Cup. He's enjoyed the journey he says he's been on for the past decade and a half. A long time ago, 2007, the World Cup, you know, we, we, we were a bunch of, you know, amateurs, um, you know, farmers, students, salesmen, um, you know, postman. Uh, yeah, we were just a raggedy bunch came together, at, you know, six months out from the World Cup. And, you know, we what we achieved there was f- fantastic. And, you know, an unbelievably talented side, um, you know, well-driven and well-led by A.D. Burrell, the, the, the then coach. Um, you know, and, and then from that moment, you know, Irish cricket just, kept on improving and taking the steps forward to where it is now. So, yeah, very proud to be there at the start of it, um, you know, and and ultimately be there for, for 16 years. Ronan, our plan for half past eight is to look at some underrated Irish sporting stars. Is Kevin O'Brien going to be in there? Well, he sure, like you mentioned the World Cup um, of it all, Will, and that I recall that in 2011 being in college and it was one of those swelling sporting events where as people cottoned on to what was happening kind of got on board with it and yeah it's just a hugely memorable occasion and to have that on your resume as you bow out on cricket and like Richie's gone through the accolades there and the the length and breadth of his career it stacks up with anything that's been achieved at that level so you know it's um it's sad that he has to come to that conclusion, but like a, a huge legacy there as well. Yeah, no, definitely. Top run scorer, guy who smashed the window of his own car famously, which went viral on social media afterwards when he hit a six. <laughs> um, he's been heavily involved in some of Ireland's <laughs> biggest wins at all the different disciplines of the game. First Irish player to hit a test century as well, which will always be there as a moment in history. And he's a guy who just seems to be around for all of these great moments, great run chases that Ireland have had in big games over the years. And you could always um, rely on him, not just for for his very good technical prowess with the bat, but also to slog it a bit if Ireland had to uh, hit a few boundaries along the way. He, he kind of said in a statement as well, Richie, earlier today, that he was yeah. hanging on with the hope really of going to the World Cup in Australia for the T20. But when it was becoming yeah. clear the longer it went on, he wasn't going to be selected. He felt now was the right time to walk away. Yeah, I think that was pretty clear, judging by the team selections that have uh, kind of gone on throughout. Ireland have one more T20 internationally against Afghanistan, things tomorrow, open storm, and, and that's the end of their summer before going off to Australia and, and final selection. He didn't feature in any of those matches, um, obviously enough. Ireland have had a fairly mixed summer, so you would have think you would have thought, sorry, that that was probably his reasoning for thinking that he could sneak in under the fence, that essentially Ireland have been so underwhelming albeit against a lot of very good opposition sides this summer uh, but even in those last two matches against Afghanistan it suggests that Ireland will be struggling a little bit once they get to Australia and he might may have forced his way in just through sheer dint of reputation but once it was clear to him I guess that on pure selection basis alone similar I guess to sending the opium last night when she said when she if she could have ch- kept chasing her half century of caps but decided it would have been for the wrong reasons I think O'Brien probably came across the same uh, resolution and decided to uh, to uh, walk away but Christ what a 
what a career he's had uh, with Irish cricket. A great, like you hate using that term, but he's a great ambassador for the game. He, like he speaks very well. He was always a really great personality in and around the game as well, and helped grow the prominence of Irish cricket in the country as well. So he'll be, he certainly will be missed. Yeah, no, I agree. He goes down to a lot of clubs around the country, does coaching sessions, um, meetups with the kids, all that kind of stuff. Very. Uh, always realised his role as an ambassador as a very important um, first class cricketer for Ireland and to actually spread the word and he had a very good uh, county cricket career with various different teams in England as well Kevin O'Brien hell of a player um, Shamrock Rovers Richie we're going to be talking to Sam McDonnell who's going over to Budapest for the yeah. Ferenc Varis game a little bit later on but uh, the Rovers themselves their charter flight again they have to go to the west of the country to fly out again Where's Dan flying out of? I think he's flying out of Dublin I don't think he has to be on a charter flight you see <laughs> Okay. You wait Fair for enough. you wait for enough forcing yeah. journalists to go and charter flights yet, yeah, it seems. <laughs> Not yet, anyway. Sean <laughs> uh, Rover is forced to fly out of Shannon again for the Europa League playoff first leg with Ferenc Faros. Last week, Stephen Bradley bemoans their inability to travel to recent European away games from Dublin Airport. Rovers play the Hungarian champions on Thursday before the top of the table clash in the SSC or Tristy Premier Division with Dundalk. That is on Sunday, so a very tight schedule for Rovers over the next seven days or so. Yeah, a very important game for them at the weekend as well, Ron, not to uh, forget that, particularly after Shamrock Rovers dropped points uh, away from home against Derry City and Dundalk are just kind of hanging in in a title race currently. But if were Dundalk to turn them over at the weekend, it becomes a proper title race again. You know, Shamrock Rovers understand we're going to have a lot of games coming up because they're going to have the group stages of the either Europa League or Conference League, depending on what happens over these two games. It is far from ideal from Shamrock Rovers' point of view. The tight window, first of all, between the game last night against or last week against Scoopy and then having to play away from home with the Brandywell and now in this case having to go over to Limerick again to fly out as opposed to being able to use Dublin Airport for their charter. Yeah and all of us in Dundalk are devastated by oh, I'm sure this, uh, the heart is bleeding currently on the desk. Fortunate scheduling I just wish it was on fair grounds well you know yourself. Um, yeah like unlike the previous round where the flight difficulties were well publicised it was still a tie that Rovers were able to navigate well and I know that there have been upshots domestically but this is, a, this is a trickier assignment in European terms and also the games are still coming thick and fast League of Ireland wise so I know it's a problem it's a good problem to have in the sense that they're still in European competition and it's it's something they're trying to navigate and that, that the fact that they're in that position is a good thing but um, like this is a tricky enough time of year for League of Ireland clubs at the, at the best of times notwithstanding the overarching travel issues that are affecting everybody but I do actually hope sincerely that they can um, do the business in Europe. And do you sincerely believe that? Because right, I support a first division club. So for <laughs> me, whoever goes through from the Premier Division, League of Ireland family, wish them well. Best of luck, everybody in Europe. But given that, you know, Shamrock Rovers are already the richest team in the league, given that Shamrock Rovers are already in possession of a ground like Tallis Stadium, there is that risk if they get to the group stage and do it regularly, they potentially could have far better resources and a far better pull than any other team in the league. Richie supports Bohemians, you support Dundalk, two rival teams to Shamrock Rovers. Mm. Rona Mullen, are you telling me right now that you're actually happy for Shamrock Rovers to be doing well in Europe, really? But we're all FC coefficient, aren't we? We all want um, that coefficient, that sweet, 100%. sweet coefficient. Yeah. So like... Like Dundalk are a brilliant case study of how to squander that European success will. So I know uh, Rovers possibly have other advantages in their favour that aren't um, at Dundalk's doorstep. But I, I see your point. I see your point of view. But I think the League of Ireland is still in a fledgling phase in this new iteration of European competition where you kind of have to be rooting for any sort of European success. And it was quite evidenced last week where there was a groundswell of support behind the likes of Pats and uh, previously against Sligo. So um, I think we have to get behind Rovers, don't we, Richie? 
No? Huh? Sorry, the line's a bit fuzzy there, yeah. Ron. It kind of breaks, it breaks up a little bit when you uh, mention. It's just a bridge too yeah. far for Richie. <laughs> right. Let's let's go. Let's go <laughs> to Munich. Standards, Ralph. Standards. We'll buy Richie out of that question and get him on to Munich. It's not been a bad day for Team <laughs> Ireland at the Athletics, has it? No, it hasn't. But Israel Alatunde is going to have to run a new national record in the next minute or so. He's in lane seven for the third semi-final of the men's 100 metres at the European Championships in Munich. The race is on track shortly, with only the first two qualifying automatically for tonight's final, along with two fastest losers. Those two fastest losers currently have times of 10.13 and 10.16. Alatunde run 10.19 in the heats, so he will need to beat Paul Hessian's old Irish records to get through to the final. Also this evening, Dara McElhenney and Brian Fay are in the final of the men's 5,000 metres. Earlier today, some really good stuff in the track for Ireland. Rashida Adelecki ran a 41.08. That was enough for her to qualify for tomorrow's final of the 400 metres. Kira McGeehan ran a season's best time of 4 minutes 3.03 seconds to qualify for Friday's final of the 1,500 metres. Sarah Healy in some really open uh, quotes afterwards admitted her attitude got the better of her as she missed out on a place in the 1500 final. But a good result for Brendan Boyce as well today. He finished 10th overall in the men's 35k walk. Yeah, Boyce has been in pretty good form. The good thing as well, Ronan, we'll talk about the swimming in a moment, the Mona McSharry, is that since there was a bit of a rebranding with this, I think there were the European Games back when they were back here, now it's the European Championships. This idea of almost bringing all these sports together at the one time, and you've got the swimming in Rome, and you've got the athletics in Munich at the moment. There's kind of a big feel about it by comparison to if there was a European athletics on now, and maybe the rowing was on in a few weeks' time. This is a kind of a little mini European Olympics kind of feel about it at the moment. Yeah, centralised nature of it definitely benefits the quote-unquote casual viewer and also for those invested in the individual sports athletics and otherwise uh, to give it a platform like this is a good thing and it's been borne out in the coverage, like very comprehensive coverage on RTE and, and elsewhere. So these athletes who, you know, we can bemoan the fact that they routinely only get coverage that they're due once every four years when these showpiece events are treated as such that will become a more regular occurrence and uh, definitely borne out with Paul O'Donovan and laterally with the what's happening on the track and I know the swimming isn't necessarily totally affiliated with what's happening on the track but um, again it seems to be part of the whole package that's been put forward this week in a in a period of the year which would normally be jam-packed with other sports they're actually getting um, singular attraction I think that's a good thing yeah no it's had a chance to breathe um, tell us about the swimming and about the cycling then Rich yeah Mona McSharry's qualified for the final of the 50 metre breaststroke at the European Championships in Rome her time of 30.9 seconds saw her qualify seventh fastest for that final which will take place tomorrow evening earlier Claire Cryan finished 11th in the final of the women's one metre springboard diving. The duo of Mia Griffin and Lara Gillespie finished 9th for Ireland in the women's Madison at the Track Cycling European Championships. That's back in Munich again. And having reached the semi-finals via the repechage, Orla Walsh was 12th overall in the women's Kieran. In GA at the moment, Richie, it's kind of, there's been county finals happening quite early in August and most championships are kind of midstream locally. That's been the focus in the GA. But all of this kind of entertainment about what's happening off the pitch with appointments and reappointments and nowhere is more intriguing right now than the race to succeed James Horn and Mayo because like a presidential campaign over the last three or four weeks we've had interviews with the local media with prospective managers laying out what they would do. We've had backroom teams slowly but surely dripping out over the last couple of weeks and we now know that Oshie McConville is on one of the tickets. 
Just to note, Will, Israel Alatunde has finished second in wow. his uh, semi-final of the 100 metres in Munich. He's qualified automatically along with Lamont uh, Marcel Jacobs, uh, who we may know from the Olympics. Oh, yeah. So uh, that's quite a run from Israel Alatunde to finish uh, second behind him and qualify automatically for the final of the 100 metres. And that's still to come uh, this evening. So congratulations to the UCD athlete there. Uh, but as you mentioned there, quite the beauty contest in Mayo going on at the moment. There's lots of Vaseline smiles there. Uh, Oshie McConville has been confirmed as part of Ray Dempsey's potential backroom team with Mayo. The 2002 All-Ireland winner with Armagh joins a strong ticket that also includes the former Mayo defender Keith Higgins, ex-Kerry goalkeeper Declan O'Keefe and the man who guided Mayo to a minor All-Ireland in 2013 Enda Gilvary. One of James Horan's selectors, James Burke, is also on Dempsey's ticket as is a partridge in a pear tree. Dempsey faces competition for the job of course from Kevin McStay Declan, Jaw, Declan Shaw even, and Mike Solon. Okay, that might be an indication about a change in Clare as well. It's, it's always intriguing when these people uh, kind of get declared on a ticket what their actual plans are for next season. Um, Kieran McGinney is going to stay around. Uh, he's heading towards a decade now with Armagh. This is going to be his ninth year in charge. Yeah. Still feels like a fresh tenure, but yeah, as you mentioned, the uh, ninth year in charge is ahead for McGinney. The Armagh County Board voting unanimously last night to ratify him for a ninth season. This year was their best ever in the championship under McGinney, reaching a feisty All-Ireland quarterfinal where they were beaten only on penalties by Galway. They were also third in Division 1 of the Alliance Football League. Now, in the minor awards which have been announced, understandably Galway dominate the team after their success at that grade this year. Yeah, the All-Ireland Champions have six players on the Electric Ireland GEA Minor Star Football Team of the Year. Spittle defender Tomás Farthing was announced as Player of the Year after his Man of the Match performance in both the All-Ireland semi-final and the final. Beating All-Ireland finalists Mayo, they have four members on that team. Derry have two and Tyrone, Kerry and Dublin each have one player apiece. And we've got Rangers in action tonight in the Champions League qualifiers after their big comeback last week. It's on national TV in Ireland as well, which is kind of unusual for Rangers. Or so. um, I don't know if you saw this online, Richie. Did you see the footage of the Derby in 1990, yeah. the old firm? Johnny Giles on commentary along with George Hamilton. Yeah, they used to do a bit of um, bit of uh, Scottish football on RTE back in the day. And it was always, always interesting, um, particularly... Those games that they would have had a park head, which are always vociferous and bo- uh, boisterous and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, Rangers, 180 minutes away from a place in the Champions League group stage for the first time in 11 years. They welcome PSV Eindhoven to Ibrox for the first leg of their playoff round tie kickoff in Glasgow at 8 o'clock tonight. Elsewhere, Bodo Glimt, last year's surprise package in the Europa League, of course, they play Dinamo Zagreb and Copenhagen host Turkish champions Trabzonspor. Yeah, I don't want to butcher the uh, Twitter handle, but I think it's at Killian Archive who puts up the footage. I think that's his account, or it might be at Killian Archive 01. Killian possibly. M2, I think. He's yeah. M2, that's it, yeah. He, oh, has he got a new one, has he? Yeah, yeah so okay. he put up the um, he put up the clip if anyone wants to see it. So basically, it's just the coverage. So I'm pretty sure Michael Lester is hosting the coverage, and then it goes across to George Sports Stadium and yes. to Johnny Giles, yeah. So just very, very unusual times, but uh, a decent game. It was Mo Johnson's first game. I think after crossing the divide as well. So there was that very vociferous <laughs> atmosphere at Parkhead as a result on top of that as well. But I can't imagine Rangers have been on RTE all that often since then. But uh, you get to see them tonight as they try and qualify for the Champions League proper. Richie, that is us on the news round for this evening. Thanks a million. 
Cheers, lads. I'm just seeing Dunphy was on the panel for this as well. Fantastic really? stuff. Uh, oh, no, he's talking about the Dublin. No, he's talking about the Dublin Dons. is a different clip altogether. Uh, so many things to get into with Killian there. Sorry. Yeah, a man who is, uh, of course, uh, largely linked in uh, to the Dublin Dons as well. So there you go. Um, lads, info for those in the pale. A two-hour drive to Shannon and five minutes to get through security. And a great departure lounge beats Dublin Airport delays any day. I agree. Dublin too long. John and Limerick. Um, Ronan strong backing here and also would you ever shut up about flying from Shannon to risk the entire western seaboard including Munster and Connacht Rugby expected to travel Dublin to fly out for matches the road goes both ways well look it's a lot handier for Shamrock Rovers uh, particularly where their players are based uh, to get through and angry producer Mick has given us a nice point of information here about Rangers as well Rangers against Leeds over two legs in 1992 which I think was effectively Mick you can confirm through the glass or not effectively a European semi-final wasn't it because of the way that that one worked out there's only only two groups, so only eight teams in the competition, so at a huge significance, that game was an RTE as well. So um, I say, what is rare is wonderful. That is it in the news round. Ronan, you're going to be back with us about half an hour's time to talk about the boxing as well. Cheers, Will.